Chapter Five, Part One of A Master of Mysteries. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Master of Mysteries by L. T. Mead and Robert Eustace. Chapter Five How Siva Spoke, Part One. During the summer of the past year a medical friend of mine sent me an invitation to dine with him and two of his fellow craftsmen at the Welcome Club at the Earl's Court exhibition. One of our party was a certain Dr. Laurier, a young man of considerable ability, whose special attention had been directed to mental diseases. He was, indeed, a noted authority on this subject, and had just completed an appointment at one of the large London asylums. During dinner he entertained us with a few of his late experiences. "'I assure you, Mr. Bell,' he said, "'there is absolutely no limit to the vagaries of the human mind. At the present moment a most grotesque and painful form of mental disease has come under my notice. The patient is not a pauper, but a gentleman of good standing and means. He is unmarried and owns a lovely place in the country. He spent the early years of his life in India, and when there the craze began which now assumes the magnitude of a monomania. "'Pray let me hear about him.' "'If your professional etiquette allows you to talk on the subject,' I answered. "'I will certainly tell you what I can,' he replied. "'I have known the man for years, having met him in town on several occasions. Last week his nephew came to see me, and spoke seriously, with regard to his uncle's state of mind. His great craze for years has been spiritualism, theosophy, and mahatmas, with all their attendant hocus-pocus. He firmly believes in his power to call up spirits from the vasty deep, and holds many extraordinary séances.' "'But surely such a craze is not sufficient to prove insanity,' I said. "'Hundreds of people believe in such manifestations at the present day.' "'I know that well, and perfectly harmless such crazes are, so long as the victims confine their beliefs to spirit-wrapping, table-turning, and humbug of that sort. But when their convictions lead them to commit actions which compromise serious interests, and when, as in this case, there is a possibility of life itself being in danger, it is time they should be looked after.' "'What is the particular nature of your friend's delusion?' I asked. "'This. He is practically a Brahmin, having been deeply imbued with the peculiar doctrines of Brahmanism when in India. Amongst his friends in the East was a Brahmin of high degree, in whose house were three idols, representing the Hindu trinity, Vishnu, Brahma, and Siva. By some means that have never been explained to me, my friend managed to get possession of Siva, and brought the idol home. He placed it in a gallery which he has in his house.' believing from the first that it possessed mystical properties which it was his duty to fathom. The nephew now tells me that he has brought his craze to such a pass that he firmly believes that Siva speaks to him in Hindustani. The unhappy man kneels nightly at the altar in front of the idol, receiving, as he imagines, directions from him. The consequence is that he does all sorts of bad and extraordinary things, spending his large fortune lavishly in the decoration of this hideous monster, buying pearls, rubies, and even diamonds for the purpose, and really being, as he imagines, guided by it in the disposition of his life and property. He has a young niece residing with him, to whom he has always been very much attached, but of late he has been cruel to her, banishing her from his presence, refusing her his sympathy, and has even gone to the length of threatening to take her life, saying quite openly that Siva informs him night after night of her treachery towards him. Now the nephew is engaged to this girl, and is naturally anxious about her, but say what he will, nothing will induce her to turn against her uncle, to whom she is deeply attached. She denies that he threatens her life, 
although the nephew declares that he did so in his own presence. Under such circumstances, her friends are, naturally, most anxious about her, and feel it their duty to get a medical opinion with regard to the uncle. I am going down to his place to-morrow, and shall there meet his regular medical attendant in consultation. "'And then, I suppose, certify as to his insanity?' I answered. "'Doubtless. That is, if we come to the conclusion that the man is really insane.' "'What an awful responsibility is reposed in you doctors,' I said. "'Think what it means to condemn a man to a lunatic asylum. "'In the hands of the unscrupulous such a power is terrible.' Dr. Laurier knitted his brows and looked keenly at me. "'What do you mean?' he said in a curious tone. "'Of course mistakes are made now and then, but not, I believe, often. "'To act in good faith and use reasonable care are the two requisites of the law.' "'Of course,' I replied. There are great difficulties on both sides of this monumentous question, but if I belong to the profession, I can frankly say that nothing would induce me to sign a certificate of lunacy. A few moments afterwards we all rose and strolled about the grounds. As we were parting at the exit gates, I called Dr. Laurier aside. "'The love of mystery is to me a ruling passion,' I said. "'Will you excuse the great liberty I take when I ask you to let me know the result of your visit of to-morrow?' I am immensely interested in your spiritualistic patient. As I spoke, I scribbled my address on a card and handed it to him, half expecting that he would resent my intrusiveness. A smile flitted across his clever face, and he stood looking at me for a moment under the glare of the great arc lights. I will certainly give you the result of my visit, as you are so much interested, he replied. Good night. We got into our respective hansoms and drove off in different directions. I had much to do, and soon forgot both Dr. Laurier and his patient. Therefore, on the following Monday, when he was ushered into my presence, my surprise was great. "'Pray, tell me what has happened,' I asked. "'That is what I am about to do. But first I must ensure your absolute confidence and secrecy, for my professional reputation may be seriously compromised if it is known that I consulted you.' I gave him the assurance, and he proceeded. My patient's name is Edward Thesiger. He lives in a place called the Hind in Somersetshire. I went down as I had arranged, and was met at the station by his nephew, Jasper Bagwell. Bagwell is a thin, anxious-looking man of about five and thirty. He drove me over to the Hind, and there I was met by Thesiger's own physician, Dr. Dalton. Dalton and I each made a separate examination of the patient, and came to the conclusion that he was undoubtedly queer. In the course of the afternoon we were all wandering round the grounds, when we were joined by the young girl to whom Bagwell is engaged. When she saw me she gave a very eager glance, and soon attached herself to my side. "'I want to speak to you, Dr. Laurier,' she said in a low voice. I managed to drop behind in order to give her an opportunity. "'I know what you have come about,' she said. "'What do you think of my uncle's case?' "'I am not prepared to hazard an opinion,' I replied." "'Well, please listen to something I have to say. "'Jasper Bagwell has his own reasons for what he tells you. "'You do very wrong to listen to him. "'Uncle Edward is queer, I grant, with regard to the idol Siva. "'That is because he is in reality a Brahmin. "'But if you sign a certificate to the effect that he is mad, "'you will be making a very terrible mistake.' "'As she spoke, her lips trembled, and the tears filled her eyes. "'I am terribly unhappy about it,' she continued." I looked at her earnestly, then I said in a low voice, "'Forgive me if I reply to you as plainly as you have just spoken to me. You arouse my surprise when you speak as you do of Mr. Bagwell. Is it not the case that you are engaged to marry him?' She gave a visible start. "'It is the case,' she answered slowly. 
Then she continued, speaking with great emphasis, I only marry my cousin because it is the one, the one chance of saving Uncle Edward. What do you mean? I asked in astonishment. I wish I could tell you, but I dare not. I am a very miserable girl. There is foul play somewhere, of that I am convinced. Oh, believe me, won't you believe me? To these extraordinary words I made a somewhat dubious reply, and she soon left me, to walk by her uncle's side. Late that evening I was alone with the patient, and he then confided to me much which he had withheld at first. He spoke about the years he had spent in India, and in especial alluded to the Brahmin religion. He told me also that he now possesses the idol Siva, and has set it up in a marble gallery where he can hold his spiritualistic seances. Bending forwards as he spoke, and fixing me with his intelligent and yet strange glance, he said solemnly, and with an appearance of perfect truth on his face, that by certain incenses and secret incantations he could make the idol speak to him in Hindustani. He said further that he felt himself completely dominated by it, and was bound to obey all its dictates. As he said the latter words, his face grew white to the lips. "'Siva is exigent in his demands,' he said slowly, "'exigent and terrible. But come, I will take you to the gallery, and you shall see him for yourself.' I went gladly. We had to go through a long conservatory which opened out of the dining-room. From there we entered an oval-shaped room. Thesiger brought me straight up to the idol. It was placed upon a pedestal. It is a hideous monster made of wood and has five heads. In its hand it holds a trident. I could hardly refrain from smiling when I first saw it. It was difficult to believe that any man, sane or insane, could hold faith in such a monstrosity. My object, however, was to draw the poor mad fellow out, and I begged of him to take what steps he considered necessary in order to induce the creature to speak. He willingly obeyed my desire, and with great solemnity went through elaborate operations. Then, turning the lamp very low, knelt at the altar in front of the idol and began to address it. He waited for its replies, which were, of course, inaudible, and then continued speaking again. After some moments spent in this way, he declared solemnly that it had replied to him, and practically called me a liar when I said I had not heard it. When he turned up the lamp at the end of this strange scene, I noticed for the first time that the idol was decorated with precious stones of extraordinary value. To leave such valuables in a room with an unlocked door was in itself a symptom of insanity, and when I parted with Thesiger for the night, I had not the least doubt that my unfortunate host was really insane. All the same, I had a curious unwillingness with regard to signing the certificate, Bagwell eagerly asked me if I did not intend to sign. To his astonishment, I replied in the negative. I said that the case was a very peculiar one, and that it would be necessary for me to pay a second visit to the patient before I could take this extreme step. He was, I could see, intensely annoyed, but I remained firm. Laurier stopped speaking and looked me full in the face. Well, I asked, I have come to consult with you over the matter. You remember what you said about the responsibility of signing such certificates. It is on account of those words I have come to you. Well, Dr. Laurier, I answered, I shall of course be happy to do anything I can to help you, but I must frankly confess that I fail to see exactly on what point I can be of service. I know little about disease in general, and nothing about mental diseases in particular. Miss Thesiger seems to think that there is foul play, but have you any suspicions on your own account? I have no proofs but, all the same, I do suspect foul play, although perhaps I have no right to say so. Then what do you want me to do? I asked. This, he answered, 
"'Will you come down with me to Somersetshire as my friend, and in the role of a great spiritualist? Thesiger will be only too delighted to meet someone of his own way of thinking. Will you come?' I thought for a moment. It was not a role I cared to assume, but the case was peculiar, and might possibly lie within my province. I eventually agreed to accompany Laurier into Somersetshire, and as a matter of fact went down with him the next day. He had telegraphed our arrival to the Hind, and a hearty invitation was accorded to me. As we were driving through the grounds late the following afternoon, we were met by a tall girl who was accompanied by two thoroughbred retrievers. "'Here is Miss Thesiger,' said Laurier. He called the driver to stop, and jumping down went to her side. I accompanied him. "'Miss Thesiger,' said Laurier, "'let me introduce my friend, Mr. John Bell.' She looked me full in the face, then her grey eyes seemed to lighten with momentary pleasure, and she held out her hand. "'What have you come back for?' she asked the next moment, turning to Laurier. "'To see your uncle.' "'Are you to meet Dr. Dalton?' Her lips trembled. "'I believe so. I assure you, Miss Thesiger, I have come with no sinister design.' Laurier smiled as he spoke. "'On the contrary, I am here to-day in order, if possible, to get at the truth. There is no one who can help me better than this gentleman.' "'Then you do suspect foul play?' she said, her eyes lighting up with sudden hope. "'I have no reason to do so,' he answered. "'It exists,' she replied. "'I know what I am saying. Will you not believe me?' As she spoke, she glanced hurriedly behind her. Footsteps were heard rapidly approaching. "'There is my cousin,' she said. "'He follows me like a shadow. Dr. Laurier and Mr. Bell, I must see you both, or one of you in private. I have something of great importance which you ought to know.' Before either of us could answer her, Jasper Bagwell came up. He gave us a polite welcome, and glanced keenly at his cousin, who took no notice of him, but continued her walk. "'Poor girl,' he said with a deep sigh, as we three walked slowly to the house. "'Why do you pity her?' I could not help asking. "'Because she is nearly as much under a delusion as my uncle himself. In fact, she is in the utmost danger, and yet refuses absolutely to believe it.' The more eccentric my unfortunate uncle grows, the more she clings to him. She scarcely leaves his side, although it is most unsafe for her to be with him. I think it my absolute duty to watch her day and night, and am really almost worn out with anxiety. The whole of last night I spent in the corridor, which divides her room from Mr. Thesiger's. Three times in the course of the night I saw the unfortunate madman gliding down this corridor, and but for my timely appearance on the scene, I have not the slightest doubt that he would have entered Helen's room with the most fell design. I see the madness in his eye when he even glances at her. He told me solemnly not later than yesterday that Siva had laid it upon him to take her life, as she was opposed heart and soul to the doctrines of Brahmanism, and was a serious obstacle in the way of the great work which my uncle was meant by the idol to undertake. I told Helen exactly what he said, but she goes on as if nothing were wrong. The fact is this, Laurier, if you don't sign that certificate, I must get another doctor who will." Bagwell's communications were certainly alarming, but we had scarcely time to reply to them before we reached the house. When we entered the hall, the frown departed from his face like magic. He assumed a thoroughly pleasant manner, and conducted us quickly into the presence of the owner of the house. Edward Thesiger was a handsome old man, tall and dignified in appearance. He possessed a particularly lofty and intelligent cast of face, aquiline features, and silver hair, which flowed down over his shoulders. His face was clean-shaven, which allowed the handsome curves of his mobile mouth to be plainly seen. 
His conversation betokened the man of learning. His words were well chosen. His manner was extremely calm and quiet. At first glance, no one could look more thoroughly sane. During dinner that night I happened to be seated opposite Miss Thesiger. She was very silent and seemed terribly depressed. I noticed that she often glanced at her uncle, and further observed that he carefully avoided meeting her eyes. When she came into the room he manifested distinct uneasiness, and when she retired to the drawing-room after dinner a look of relief filled his fine face. He drew up his chair near mine and began to talk. "'I am glad you were able to come,' he said. "'It is not often one has the privilege of meeting a thoroughly kindred spirit. Now, tell me, have you carefully studied Brahmanism?' "'I have done so cursorily,' I replied, "'and have from time to time curious dealings with the supernatural.' I then added abruptly, "'I am much interested to hear from Laurier that you, Mr. Thesiger, hold the idol Siva in this house.' "'Hush!' he said, starting and turning very pale. "'Do not say the name in such a loud and reckless tone.' As he spoke he bent towards me, and his voice dropped. "'Mr. Bell, I have extraordinary confidences, which I can make to you by and by.' "'I shall be happy to hear them,' I answered. "'Have you had wine enough? Shall we go into the gallery now?' I rose immediately. My host led me into a conservatory, and from there straight into a marble gallery. It was a curious-looking place, being a large oval chamber forty feet long. The walls were faced with marble, and a dado painted in Egyptian style ran round the room. Halfway between the middle of the room and the end stood a fountain of curious design, it consisted of a bronze figure of a swan with wings outspread. From its bill the water issued and fell into a circular basin. Facing this fountain, twenty feet away, stood the idol, with its little altar in front of it. I went up and examined it with intense interest. The pedestal on which it rested was about three feet high. The idol itself was the same height, so that its five heads were almost on a level with my face. Round the neck and decorating each of the heads were jewels of extraordinary magnificence. The hand which held the trident was loaded with diamond rings. It is almost impossible to describe the sinister effect of this grotesque and horrible monster, and when I saw Mr. Thesiger gazing at it with a peculiar expression of reverence not unmixed with fear, I felt certain that Bagwell was right, and that the man was dangerously insane. As I was thinking these thoughts, my host groaned quite audibly, and then looked steadily at me. "'I am living through a very terrible time,' he said in a low voice. "'I am the victim of a strange and awful power.' Here his words dropped to an intense whisper. "'Years ago, when I became a Brahmin,' he continued, "'voluntarily giving up the faith in which I was born, I little knew to what such a step would lead. I stole Siva from the house of my Indian friend, and brought the idol home. From the first it began to exercise a marvellous power over me, I had made a large fortune in India, and when I came to England bought this place, and finding this curious gallery already in existence, had it lined with marble, and set up Siva in its midst. The study of the faiths which I had adopted, the holding of spiritualistic seances and matters of that sort, occupied my time, and I became more and more imbued with the strange mysticism of my belief. As the years flew by I was more and more firmly convinced that what looks like mere wood is in reality imbued with strange and awful qualities. I shall never forget that terrible evening when Siva first spoke to me. "'How long ago was that?' I interrupted. "'Some months ago now. I was kneeling by the altar, and was speaking to him as usual, when I heard words uttered in Hindustani. At first I could scarcely credit my own ears, 
but soon I grew accustomed to the fact that Siva wished to hold communication with me and listen to him nightly. At the beginning of our remarkable intercourse he laid certain mandates upon me, which resulted, as you see, in my decorating him with these precious stones. I felt bound to obey him, whatever he dictated, but of late he has told me, he has told me, the old man began to shudder and tremble. While he had been speaking to me, he had been gazing at the idol. Now he walked a few steps away and turned his back on it. "'Sooner or later I must obey him,' he said in a feeble voice. "'But the thing is driving me crazed, crazed.' "'What is it?' I asked. "'Tell me, I beseech you.' "'I cannot. It is too awful. It relates to the one I love best in the world. The sacrifice is too horrible, and yet I am drawn to it. I am drawn to the performing of an awful deed by a terrible power. Ask me no more, Mr. Bell. I see by your face that I have your pity.' "'You have, truly.' I answered. I had scarcely said the last words before the door of the gallery was opened, and Miss Thesiger, Bagwell, and Laurier appeared. Miss Thesiger went straight to her uncle's side, and laid her hand on his shoulder. "'Must you stay up any longer?' she asked in a gentle voice. "'I heard you walking about last night. You were restless and did not sleep. Do go to bed now. You seem so tired. I know these gentlemen will excuse you,' she added, glancing from Laurier to me. "'Certainly,' said Laurier. I should recommend Mr. Thesiger to retire at once. He looks quite worn out. I shall go presently, presently, said Thesiger, in a somewhat curt voice. Leave us, Helen. There's a good child. Go, my dear. Go, Helen. Don't irritate him, I heard Bagwell say. She gave a quick, despairing glance from one man to the other, then, turning, left the room. Now, Mr. Thesiger, I said, will you not grant me the favor of a seance? Mr. Thesiger remained gravely silent for a moment, then he said, "'By virtue of your power as a medium, you may be able to hear the voice, and so convince Dr. Laurier of its reality.' He then proceeded to go through some elaborate operations, and finally kneeling at the altar, began to speak Hindustani. It was about the strangest scene I had ever witnessed, and though I stood almost at his elbow, I could hear no sound whatever but his own voice. "'Siva will not speak to-night,' he said, rising. "'There must be someone here whose influence is adverse.' I cannot hear him. It is strange. He looked puzzled, and more relieved than otherwise. "'You will go to bed now, sir,' said Bagwell. "'You look very tired.' "'I am,' he replied. "'I will leave my friends with you, Jasper. You will see that they have all they want.' He bade Laurier and me a courteous good-night, nodded to his nephew, and left the room. "'This is the most extraordinary phase of mental delusion I ever heard of,' I said. If you will permit me, Mr. Bagwell, I will examine this idol more particularly. You can do so, if you please, he said, but he did not speak in a cordial tone. Examine it to your heart's content, he continued a moment later. Only pray don't disarrange it. He seems to know by instinct if it is touched. Bah! It is sickening. Shall we go into another room, gentlemen? Watching his face carefully, I resolved to make my examination in private, and now followed him into the smoking-room. We stayed there for a short time, talking in a desultory manner, and soon afterwards retired for the night. End of Part 1 of Chapter 5